When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Grow Your Business and Grow Your Wealth podcast with Gary Helt. Gary is an expert in helping business owners put together a plan that will provide a better future for their businesses, themselves, and their families. On the podcast, Gary interviews other professionals who share his vision, and together they share secrets and strategies any business owner can use to build a better financial foundation for your business and your life. Hey, welcome back to the podcast. This week, our guest is Chris Hearn, who is the founder and CEO of Fountainhead. Welcome, Chris. Thanks for having me. So, Chris, what made you get into the business of lending? Well, I, um, I've i always been very entrepreneurial. I've been working since I was about eight. Um, just various businesses over the years have started businesses. Um, probably my uh, biggest reason is... Um, my mother was an entrepreneur. She actually was a chocolatier of all things and uh, worked out of our house, violated every health code imaginable. <laughs> um, but I learned a lot about sales and marketing and, you know, just production and all sorts of things. Um, and years later, I helped her pass her uh, residential real estate exam. I think I was 13 at the time. And I don't know, I just, I just sort of had a fascination with real estate, uh, which led to me um, being more involved in financing, taking a bunch of classes in, in uh, grad school, getting a degree in MBA. Um, and then uh, I didn't expect to get into it necessarily. I actually, uh, right out of grad school, I worked at a high-tech startup in Northern Virginia for a couple of years before that was fashionable to do and uh, was very successful. And then recruiters came calling and uh, the first place that looked great to me was G Capital. And this is going back 20 plus years ago. Yeah. Uh, they were the largest non-bank lender in the, in the world at the time. And, um, you know, I, they moved my wife and I. We moved from outside of Washington, D.C. to Orlando. And uh, March will be 25 years that I've been in Orlando. And um, I stuck around for a little while and then left, was a management consultant. And then uh, over a beer at a bar with a buddy of mine, he convinced me to come back to the industry, and I said I would, but only if I had my own company to start. I wanted to be able to follow the shots myself. And so that launched a process by which I, I did a lot of due diligence ahead of time and started the business in 2002, sold that business in 2010, stuck around at the bank I sold it to for almost four years, tried to buy it back. They were selling the bank to a bigger bank, and then I left, and within six months, I started a Fountainhead. And you know, the rest is history. So I just, I enjoy what I do, Gary. I mean, I just, I think it's a lot of fun to be a part of the entrepreneurial process, to be a part of helping small business owners um, grow their businesses, grow their net worth, increase prosperity in general. It's just, it, it's, it gives us a much higher purpose than just, you know, working for a paycheck basically. And it's, it's very gratifying and we make huge impacts on people's lives. So it, it doesn't take very long once I dipped my toe in this water to, to really get much more passionate about it. And, and it's, it's really thrilling. And uh, I have a whole team of people who feel the same way. That's awesome. 
So from the from the you, you're on the lending side of things, mm-hmm. kind of what is your what is your guys' niche? Uh, our niche is we do small business administration loans, SBA loans. We do it all over the country. Um, we have a special license from the government. We're one of only 14 entities that have this license. We're called the Small Business Lending Company. It basically means we're a non-depository institution that the U.S. government allows to make SBA loans. It's pretty rare. Uh, there hasn't been a new license issued since 1982. Um, only eight of us of the 14 are actually for profit. Um, so that's kind of an interesting twist. But, um, you know, our niche really is we are one of the largest SBA lenders in the country. We mostly do SBA 7A, um, although we've done a lot of SBA 504. I'm probably one of the more well-known people in the 504 space. And, um, you know, but we we're sort of we're industry agnostic. So long as it qualifies for SBA financing, we're going to be interested in, in taking a look at the transaction. Um, we do a lot of business acquisitions. We do a lot of business debt refinances. We do we provide working capital loans, uh, leasehold improvements, FF&E. We finance a lot of owner-occupied commercial real estate. Uh, we do a lot of equipment loans, franchise loans, kind of all over the board, partner buyouts. Any of those are the use of proceeds that, that we participate in. And, and we're a tremendous alternative to ordinary conventional bank financing, you know, the financing that people think of about a business loan, we're sort of in this interesting between spot um, where it's the terms generally are much better for SBA lending than people realize. And um, and we're entering what I would call a slowing economy. Maybe we're not in a recession yet, but we're real close. Uh, I think a lot of people probably feel we are. But the point is, that's usually when traditional banking uh, goes to the sidelines and is not a viable option. And SBA lending is always counter-cyclical and that it really shines. And, you know, this will come on the tail end of SBA being under such a huge spotlight over the last couple of years with, uh, with all their loan programs, whether it's, you know, the new ones, you know, Paycheck Protection Program, which we did a ton of those. We did almost 300,000 of those loans. We were the six most active lender last year with that. Uh, EIDL, which of course are disaster loans that the agency administers themselves, but then you had, you know, Shutter Venue and, you know, uh, restaurant revitalization, but yeah, all these things. And collectively it was well over a trillion dollars. I mean, PPP alone was almost 800 billion. So SBA has been under a huge spotlight and I'm thinking this is going to be their chance to further shine going forward. Right. Now you, you mentioned earlier, 7A loan. What, what is a 7A loan? So 7A is the marquee loan program of, of the agency, of the Small Business Administration. Um, keep in mind, the agency's been around since the mid-50s. It just celebrated its 69th anniversary. Uh, it's the only entity in the U.S. government that is focused solely on small businesses. Okay, So it's, it's really our advocate and our champion, so to speak. And so uh, the 7A is their marquee program. Um, last year, they did almost $30 billion with the 7A program. Um, with all those different proceeds I was talking about before, uh, it really is a, um, I've often likened it, Gary, to it's an agency that really punches well above its weight. You know, they have, they have less than a thousand people working at the SBA. They have under a billion dollar budget, which in Washington, that's chump change. Uh, <laughs> and yet they, they produce just in 7A alone, they did 30 billion in the last fiscal year. And that is a massive, massive impact on the economy. I mean, people may not realize it, but the small business portion of the economy 
um, 47% of people that are employed in the United States work for a small business. I mean, it's really truly is not just political rhetoric. It is really the backbone of this country. And so, and anything we can do to encourage that, I mean, they've had more business startups. We've had more business startups in the last two years than the last 20 years at any, in any year by itself. So I think a lot of people have um, sort of taken stock of things um, as a result of the pandemic. And a lot of folks have decided to, you know, leave corporate America, go launch that thing they've been trying to do for years or, or, you know, turn that hobby into a, you know, more than just a side hustle. And it's, uh, it's very uh, gratifying for me to, for me to see that because I think, you know, I think entrepreneurs have done more things for uh, society than any politician or bureaucrat ever has. So I, I think it's very, it's a lot of fun to do what we do, but that's essentially, that's what a 7A loan is. That's, that's really when people think of SBA, they mostly think of 7A loans. Now, so I'm a small business owner. If I need a loan of whatever, for whatever reason, mm-hmm. am I able to come directly to you? Because you always hear about, okay, you got to go to the bank and then the bank takes it out. So <laughs> are, are people able to come directly to you? Yeah, we're, we're a direct commercial lender. Yes. Okay. And they can absolutely come directly to us. And uh, I would say if you're already in business, you're going to have the inclination to go talk to the bank that you bank at, right. you know, you got business accounts. You're going to want to probably talk to them if you have an interest in a business loan. Uh, that's very, very natural. The problem is they may not offer the best business loans out there. They may not offer SBA loans, for instance. And I would caution anybody just because, you know, your cousin works at the bank or your sister-in-law works at the bank you do not want to be somebody's guinea pig and be the first SBA loan they've made in the last two years. Right. That's, that's a recipe for disaster. Um, you know, whether they come directly to me, Gary, or, or someone else, they definitely should work with somebody who specializes in this, who does this day in and day out. It's a, it's a horrible mistake if they don't do that. And unfortunately that's kind of the genesis of a lot of those myths and misperceptions that some people have heard about SBA lending over the years. It's oftentimes the applicant picked the wrong lender. That's really what it comes down to. There's not a lot of community banks in this country or even credit unions making business loans for that matter who make many SBA loans. And what few they do, they probably don't give the best customer experience that that any of us would expect. I mean, just to put some stats around this, you know, going into the pandemic, there was just over 11,000 financial institutions who could make an SBA loan. And what I mean by that is, you know, the 14 institutions like myself, the banks, the credit unions, a few other non-banks that are out there. So, but the sad truth is in the preceding fiscal year, 1,700 of those institutions, that's it. So not even 15% had made one SBA loan in the preceding 12 months, which is shocking. It just tells you how specialized even SBA lending is within the banking world. So yes, it's true that, during the pandemic, PPP, about half of those 11,000 institutions made a PPP loan. But whether they're going to stick around and make other SBA loans in the future, I kind of doubt it. Right, right. Now, instead of somebody going to a bank to possibly get a line of credit, you you, you mentioned FFE, so you know equipment and things. Um, instead of going to a bank to get that loan, or, or I guess 
what's the benefit of coming to you for an SBA loan as compared to just going to your brick and mortar bank and saying, hey, I'm your I'm your client. I need to borrow 50 grand or 100 grand, whatever the number is. What's kind of what's the difference there? Well, there's a, there's a number of things. I'm smiling because I'm thinking about all the PPP borrowers I helped that they went to their banks and their banks gave them the runaround for whatever reason. And, and right. uh, just they came to us. We got the deal done. And the the lack of loyalty is probably at an all time high with business owners dealing with banks. And it's not surprising why. I mean, banks tend to be very slow and methodical and approvals. They don't exactly... Um, you know, rank high on the JD Powers list of uh, great servicers. You know, servicing companies, right. customer service. Um, they tend to be uh, generalists instead of specialists. I mean, all those things. So, to answer your question, I often say, Gary, it's it's the four S's for us, and that is speed. We are much faster than our competition in terms of approving deals, which is important because I don't care who you are, anybody who applies for financing, there's always just at least a smidgen of anxiety involved. Right. If not, right? yeah. So we want to try to help structure the deal as quick as possible. We oftentimes are approving deals in under two days, sometimes less than 24 hours. So that's the first S. The second S is service. Um, and that's not any great revelation necessarily, but in context of what we do, this is probably one of the largest transactions that a business owner will do in their life. Right. So, you know, probably this loan would be even more than when they purchased their house or built their house or whatever. Um, so if they're making a business acquisition or they're buying on a partner or they're just, you know, getting financing for huge growth plans, it's, it's something that's, you know, it's a little scary. They've not done it before. It's a big dollar amount and they probably need some handholding. And that's a that's requires a higher level of service. Um, than just what you would get, you know, from an ordinary institution. So that's that's the second S. The third S is specialization, which we've already talked about. I mean, my team collectively has over 386 years of SBA lending experience, wow. and, which is remarkable. And I only know that because we tab- tabulated it last week and uh, we were shocked as anybody. Like that's, that's remarkable. So we've seen the reason it's so important to work with a specialist is someone like us, with that many years of experience, we've seen just about every loan scenario there is. We know where to be creative, um, where we can push the boundaries, where we can't. I mean, we've just, we've seen it all. We've done it all. And, um, you know, you want to work with somebody like that. You know, this is not something that just a, uh, you know, a branch manager is going to be able to do for you. It just, there's too many nuances about SBA lending. And there's only a few thousand of us worldwide that even know what we're doing. So it's something to, to think about. Um, and then the fourth S, which I've kind of alluded to already is, and I think you could probably tell, we call it sincerity, which is, you know, we're really passionate about doing this. You know, most of my staff have another business that they've started um, or either doing it on the side. I mean, so we like to think of ourselves as entrepreneurs, financing entrepreneurs, and that's very different. You know, if you're used to dealing with, um, you know, some traditional banker, um, they've never signed, you know, the front page of a check. Um, They're only signing the back of it. So it makes a big difference on how you sort of view the world. So those are, those are the reasons I think we're different. Speed, service, specialization, and sincerity. And, um, you know, like I said earlier, for us, we're, we're very sincere in trying to help 
this sector of the economy because we just uh, we just know how important it is, and we're glad to see over the last couple of years it get some of the recognition that it deserved. So what are some of the common mistakes that you're seeing people make besides going to the brick and mortar bank who doesn't have any experience? <laughs> right. What, what are some of the mistakes that you that you're seeing, you know, these business owners or, or these entrepreneurs that, that want to get into business? What are some of the common mistakes you see them make? Well, um, I mean, one of the biggest is when when you if they're already in business. When you go, when you're going to have an event in a calendar year, by that I mean you're going to go for a big, you want to, you want to get a loan, um, you want to sell your business, you know, things that are, are are more monumental. Okay, the biggest mistake I see is somebody that's been around for a number of years who hates to pay taxes, just like the rest of us, who's constantly you know, expensing everything they possibly can, driving down their net profits so that it really doesn't cash flow and it causes major problems because, you know, whether it's us or, you know, some other SBA lender or a banker, I mean, we all look at the same things. You know, we're basically looking at the EBITDA, the cash available from the business to determine if, if enough is spun out to cover not only our annual debt payments, but any other debt that the business may have. And if you are constantly in the mode of driving down profits to prevent yourself from having to pay too much in taxes, that's all well and good, except for that year of the event. That's when you want to make sure you've, you've shown as much of the net profits as possible. So I would say that's one big mistake I see. Um, once you actually go to apply for a business loan, the biggest mistake I often see is people are just not organized. You know, I mean, a lender like us, we give people a checklist. We get, we tell them exactly what we need. It's not rocket science. You just got to go get the information for us. And if you don't get it for us right away, um, well, it's going to delay things. You right. know, if you've got a closing that has to happen, you have a contract, you have to settle this acquisition of another business or, you know, buying a piece of property or some piece of equipment, you have to close in 45 days. That means you got to move. That means you got to follow the instructions that we give you because we've done this thousands of times. You probably haven't. So you got to get organized. And if you're, as the business person, if you're not able to do it, hopefully you have someone on your staff who can help out. I mean, we've worked with plenty of CFOs, bookkeepers, you know, controllers, even outside folks to help out, to get us the information that we need. But those are the two big ones that I've, I've often seen, I guess, sort of a, another one that's kind of humorous and you'll get a kick out of this is being an accountant. Um, just about every personal financial statement I see from an existing business owner uh, says that their business is worth at least a million dollars. Oh yeah. And there's no, and there's no metrics necessarily that support that. They just all have that down or higher. And so they, people need to understand that uh, bankers like us, we're, we're going to discount that. It's got to make sense based on the performance of the business. So that's that's another interesting thing I've I've seen over the years. So yeah, every, every business owner thinks their business is a lot more than it than it is. That's for sure. That's right. And, and you know what? I'm just thinking another thing I think about a lot is particularly younger people that want to become entrepreneurs. They all think that they have to start up a business. And starting up a business is tough, okay? Um, if, if more and more of them could think about buying an existing business, that would make a lot more sense. Because if you're buying an existing business, 
you, it already hopefully has an established reputation. Hopefully it's a good one. It already has a customer base. It already has employees who hopefully are doing a good job. I mean, there's, there's a lot of reasons to buy an established business as opposed to starting from scratch and having to go through all that typical startup pain hurdles that you have to do. And the nice thing is there's a ton of businesses that are for sale right now because you have this demographic called the baby boomers who are retiring and they're trying to get something from their business, which is they're trying to sell it. And, you know, it's a, it's a, you know, get another bite at the apple, so to speak, as opposed right. to just shutting it down. They'd much rather sell it. So there's, so there's more opportunities out there than I think sometimes people realize. And I, I think sometimes people also, even, you know, you mentioned earlier about financing franchises and things. And, and I have found lots of times uh, people want to try to get into that mm-hmm. um, and they end up going with the financing from the franchise mm-hmm. company and yeah. I've seen the rates on a lot of those and they are not favorable at all. Yeah. People get so far down the road and they can't get out at that point. That's right. Yeah. I mean, I think in general, I would try to avoid situations where, um, a franchise or is financing it, or even if it, in the case of an existing business, if the seller's willing to finance it. I mean, let's, let's be honest. I mean, uh, if you're doing a business acquisition or a franchise, for instance, I mean, very few of those are financed all in cash. Okay? Right. Most of them are, are financed. Um, seller financing is oftentimes an option, but if, if you go with seller financing on an existing business, oftentimes you have to put down a lot more of a down payment. Um, you oftentimes have much shorter terms, okay? Um, and you're probably paying up yes. for the purchase itself. Whereas yeah. if you bring in somebody like me who actively does business acquisition loans all the time, typically we only require 10% down. Um, most of our business acquisition loans are over a 10 year fully amortizing term. I've seen seller financing notes Three years. Right. Now, if you're taking over the business, you need as much free cash flow as possible. If you only have three years to repay that loan, that's that's going to pinch you a bit, you know. Right. So th- those are two big things to think about. And then I've also seen seller financing; they charge whatever they want. Oh, and yeah. <laughs> it's not uncommon to be in the double digits interest right. rate from a seller. Um, so, and plus, as I said, you're probably paying up for the business itself because you don't have an independent party like us who's trying to validate the value of the business. I mean, we would, we, on every business acquisition loan we do, we have a business valuation done so that we know that, you know, we're not financing something that's inflated and you're not hopefully paying for something that's inflated in terms of the price. So, and the same thing applies on franchise financing. Um, there's not as many franchisors as I think they're used to be doing this, but um, you know, a lot of franchisors viewed this as a, an additional um, revenue sort stream for them. And um, they, you know, they wanted to be able to finance the deals that the banks or, or SBA lenders like me turned down and they'll only be able, you know, meaning they're taking on a higher risk. And the only way they can do that is require more down payment, shorter terms, higher interest rates, you know, all those are not good for you if you're contemplating doing this. So that's why it probably makes sense to work with somebody who's outside of that transition transaction. Yeah, I, I think so many times somebody who's looking at buying that business, they they have the emotions involved and it's like, oh, I got to do this, right. you know, type thing. And I, I think that that 
when emotions get involved, we make bad decisions. And I think that, yeah, and I and I think that's what's again, I always preach about having your, you know, your financial team. You have your 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 professional team. And I think, you know, lots of times in those teams, people don't talk about the banker or the lender. And right. I think that that's always important because, you know, if I'm looking, hey, I want to expand my business and I want to do it through acquisition. Right. And I'm one of these people that have been driving down my profit to pay as little taxes. I need to have that discussion with you to say, OK, what do we need to do? You know, what kind of what kind of profits are you looking to see? Because, right. again, a lot of the stuff that I'm, you know, am driving down profits is because I'm stuffing so much money away in a retirement account. Sure. Uh, type thing. But, you know, you you have that flexibility. And I know with a lot of other people, they do, too. But I think that this is just kind of preaching to the, <laughs> to the choir here. Make sure you have that lender as part of your of your stable of professionals also. Yeah, and, and and when I'm talking about this, by the way, doing a business acquisition is, is not just like a large corporation, you know, headline news type of a strategy. It really does work for small and mid-sized companies as well. Right. Um, you know, it's 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 funny the um, you know when they when the people want to do this, um, they don't always think about the financing angle, like what we're, what we're talking about. And um, like you said, you, you, sometimes you get down a rabbit hole and you can't turn around. You're kind of stuck. Well, you can, but your money might be hard and you might be walking away from five or six figures at that point, which is, which is not a lot of fun uh, for anybody for that matter. But um, yeah, it's just a, it's an interesting world we live in. I mean, you know, people can grow organically, but if you really feel passionate about what you do, your product or service, and you've proven it in the marketplace, you know, you got to consider financing to continue to, to grow, to scale it. So it's, um, you know, even in recessionary times, there's always a need for business financing. Right. Now, when you're talking about rates and stuff that, that you're getting through SBA, uh, for our listeners, are you able, can, can you kind of compare that to what most people are used to? From a, a a homeowner, you know, rate type thing and and different because it it seems like everybody people don't don't talk about the the uh, lending rates for businesses. They're always talking about it right. for homes, and there there's a huge difference. Yeah, and and some of that I've explained this over the years. You know, the in general, I'm going to make some generalities here. Um, the marketplace for residential mortgages dwarfs the marketplace for business loans. Right. Okay. Um, so you're correct, Gary. A lot of people, when they go to get a business loan, they're thinking, well, hey, why can't I get a 30-year amortization? Well, because that's a residential right. product, not really a commercial product. Because the commercial side of things is smaller, um, there's, there's more inherent risk. And one way that lenders such as myself try to mitigate risks is by having a shorter repayment term, um, is by charging higher interest rates, is by requiring more money down. So those are the big things. And there's also loan covenants and other things that you don't necessarily have in most residential mortgages. So that's what's common on the business side. You're 100% correct. Most business owners, they're viewing things through the lens of, 
my home mortgage and they're not viewing things through the lens of what happens in, in commercial lending. So for instance, um, you know, 30 year amortization on commercial real estate, is pretty rare. Most of the time it's a 15, a 20 or 25 year amortization. That's what's common. Um, when we do an SBA loan on commercial real estate, it's got to always be owner-occupied, owner-operated. It's almost always 25-year amortization, okay? But that's a little smaller than a 30-year. Um, when we get a down payment, you know, there's, you. I imagine there's some hard money guys out there that might let you put 5% down or 3% down or no money down, I guess, maybe, I don't know but you're going to make up for it somewhere else. You know, they're going to charge much higher rates, much higher fees, all these other things, much shorter repayment term. But in general, um, residential real estate is probably, I would say one and a half to two and a half percent less of the, uh, the interest rate, meaning 150 to 250 basis points less. So right now, what a residential uh, mortgage is probably in the low fives, something like that. Um, something comparable on the commercial side is probably in the high sixes to low eights right now, depending on fixed or variable and how long and all these different things. So, um, you know, those are the big differences uh, that I see, um, you know, loan covenants, you know, one of the ways that, again, a commercial lender is in essence able to uh, de-risk their situation is to have various um, requirements as part of their loan. So, you know, annual debt service coverage ratio requirements, or debt to net worth requirements, things of that nature. You don't see that type of stuff usually on residential real estate, but it is there on commercial loans. So it's very, very common. So those are some of the differences. It's kind of funny though, over the years, Gary, I've had many people say, well, you know, my home loans at 4%, why are you quoting me 6%? And, you know, I, I was a veteran. I only had to put, you know, 3% down with a VA loan or whatever it is. And I got a, I got a 40 year amortization because I live in California. Okay, great. Well, none of that is going to yeah. work in the commercial space. So this is how it's done on this side. Right. Right. I think, I mean, I think it's important for people, for, for people and business owners and stuff like that to understand that, going into it so they don't have that that sticker shock right yeah um, and and because i know just on regular i'm just going to say like on auto loans and stuff mm -hmm. like that a lot of people are like oh yeah well i didn't buy the vehicle through my business i bought it personally and right. it's like well that's great but now you can't write it off directly in your business you got to do all this other stuff right. and it's right. like well why not it's like well because it's not in the business name Right. And there's a reason why, like you said, you know, risk and everything else. So, well, and, and that's a great example of uh, one of the things I was referring to earlier about, particularly of business acquisition transactions, is very, very common, as, as you know, um, for the seller to have run all sorts of things through the business that a lender like me has got to say, okay, well, some of this we can add back to the cash flow of the business consideration of that. Um, but, you know, car payments and insurance payments and every meal and travel. And, you know, I, I've seen it all. I mean, there's tons okay. of that stuff that people try to run through it. And it's all because they're trying to lower their, their tax burden, which I get, but that's very dangerous when you have an event that's that you want to have happen. So. Right. Right. All right, Chris, we covered a lot of stuff in a short period of time. What have I not asked you that you wish I had? Oh, I know that's a big, I mean, I'm sure there's a ton of stuff. Uh, but yeah, uh, 
I don't know, man. There's so much that we could we could probably talk for hours about all these different things. Um, I don't know. You didn't ask me my uh, my one of my top ten craziest uh, PPP borrower stories. Uh-oh. You didn't ask me that. Yeah, tell us uh, that. <laughs> I bet you that's pretty good. Yeah, I don't think I have. Uh, I don't believe we had any client fraudulent clients that like bought the Lamborghinis and uh, you know the artwork and some of that stuff. Um, I did have a couple of my staff get um, solicited uh, if they would approve the PPP loan. Uh, I'm, I think you can read between the lines of how they were solicited. Um, we had a couple of my staff get stalked, uh, which we had to call the FBI about. That was interesting. Um, we had police patrols around our office eight to nine times a day because people were very panicked and hysterical. Um, this is the, the best one, perhaps, because I don't want to end it on a negative note. But um, you remember that movie from about 15 years ago, uh, Superbad, about the kids yeah. in high school or maybe college or whatever? You remember that character, McLovin? Oh, yeah. His, uh, his Hawaii driver's license said yeah. McLovin. No first name, no last name, just right. McLovin. Well, I think think we uncovered about four applicants that submitted a McLovin driver's license as part of the PPP process, which uh, we still chuckle about to this day because we we actually created a separate folder on our server that we call the greatest hits. And that's where we dumped all the, you know, insane uh, voicemail messages we got where they, you know, call us every name in the book or we get crazy stuff like this. McLovin driver's license go in there. The, uh, you know, the 27 um, driver's licenses where you see the same potted plant in the lower right-hand corner because yeah. you know that there was some fraud ring that was just running people in, taking photos and slapping them on these driver's licenses. I mean, we've seen so many crazy things. It's uh, definitely not something any of us signed up for. We decided to be paid. Right, right, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I, I bet that you guys going into it when they even first announced there was going to be PPP, you probably didn't even think that it was going to be as crazy as it was from people trying to get it that shouldn't be and, and so forth. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was wild, wild, wild time. The treasury secretary Mnuchin didn't help by telling people that they could walk into a bank that morning and get their money that afternoon. That was that and the, uh, the tickler that was going, counting down how much money was left that uh that helped contribute a lot to that oh, yeah so, i was gonna say there was a lot of panic especially the first go around first round that's right the and then the money ran out which just freaked people out even more second round there was plenty of money and then obviously there was the third round that mostly happened last year but um yeah i was i had a i had kind of a front row seat at a lot of this because i was i was fortunate you know our business is based in florida so our our senator Marco Rubio was, was the chairman of the Senate Small Business Committee. Right. So, and I testified before multiple times that the House Small Business Committee and I knew the staffers pretty well. And so, you know, starting in early March of 2020, we started talking about what eventually became the PPP. And uh, you know, I made a lot of recommendations, some of which they accepted, others they didn't. They wanted to get the money out the door as quick as they could. Um, so, you know, and then once that happened, it was the biggest piece of legislation ever at that time. And it got passed in nine days unanimously. Um, but then the real work began, which was, you know, promulgating the regs, which I spent a lot of time with SBA, Treasury, Federal Reserve, White House, all sorts of stuff helping to get that done. But then I finally had to just roll my sleeves up and actually go get in the trenches with my team and then get the work done. So, but it was very gratifying that we were able to do all that. So. 
I think it's always that, you know, kind of fascinating, you know, you go through that process, you know, just, and, and people think, oh, well, they announce it, boom, tomorrow it's in effect and it's going to happen. Same thing right. with tax law. And right. it's like, you know, we always try to tell people that's great that Congress passed it, but now that IRS has got to figure out how right. are they going to implement it? What forms are they going right. to put it on? Things like that. Just for you, like you guys, it's like, okay, yeah, they said they had all this money out there. Now right. SBA has to figure out, okay, how are we going to process this? What forms are we going to put right. it on? What are the what are the, the the regulations that we're going to put around it? People don't understand that whole thing. They were just expecting, you know, yep. like you said, oh, just go in that same day, you'll have the money. And it's like not even close. Well, and you remember it was such a crazy time. Like, you know, people weren't sure, is this the apocalypse? Am I going to get the virus right. die? And, you know, all these things are going on. It's kind of in the background. But yeah, normally when an entity of the government rolls out a program, SBA or otherwise, IRS or otherwise, there's all these regulations that come with it. The problem was during this time, they were just kind of making it up as they, as they went. I mean, I saw some, uh, some media estimated there was 127 different iterations that were rolled out by the agency or treasury during PPP, either as a frequently asked question, which is what they were regulating by, or right. what was called the interim final rule, an IFR. 127 of these over less than two years. I mean, it was maddening. We would, I would stay up late on a Friday night. Well, I was up late all the time during this period. I worked about 18 hours a day, seven days a week for months. But, um, you know, by around 10 o'clock at night, most Friday nights, we'd get a new drop. Usually we'd get another drop on Tuesdays, another drop on Thursdays. And this just happened week after week. And these are not small documents. This isn't like a page and a half memo. This is 45 pages or, you know, everything that came in the last one was 45 pages plus these extra 27 pages. I mean, there's a lot to get through. Um, so it's just, uh, yeah, strange, strange times for sure. Yeah. So Chris, if people like what, what they're, what they're hearing and they, you know, need a lender, um, in, in this, how can they get in touch with you? Well, the best way to get a hold of us is probably through our website, Gary, uh, which is www.fountainheadcc.com. That's F-O-U-N-T-A-I-N-H-E-A-D-C-C.com. So if they go there, there's a, there's a wealth of information that you can contact us through the website. Um, you know, we're on every social media platform out there. You can certainly follow us, um, you know, uh, message us on any of those, you know, our, our YouTube channel, for instance, have, has hundreds of videos, a lot of sort of the how-to questions that a lot of business owners have about financing is, is going to be on there. Um, you know, LinkedIn, connect with us there. I mean, in, any of these platforms, you can you can reach out to us. But those, those are the ways. And, you know, by all means, you know, Google us. You'll see a ton of information out there. I'm, I'm pretty prolific writing articles or being quoted in various media. Um, back to what you said a second ago, the first Friday of PPP, I actually was in the Wall Street Journal myself and I think Jamie Dimon and a couple other folks, big, big name folks. I was the smallest, of course, <laughs> saying that we weren't going to roll out PPP that Friday night because we didn't have as much guidance as we wanted. Apparently, that got me disinvited to a conference call with the White House like a couple of days later. So, uh, but, you know, at least hey, you were being honest. I was being honest. And, you, you know, you got to do things prudently. And um, so that's what we were doing. But. Those are the ways to get a hold of me, by the way. So, yeah, and I'd love to chat with anybody. 
Right. And just so listeners know, you know, uh, Chris's company, Fountainhead, they are uh, licensed in every state so they can help you no matter where you are. Yep. All 50 states and six territories we've made loans in. So there you go. Chris, really appreciate your time. Appreciate your wisdom. Um, I know that that I know I learned a lot today and I'm sure our listeners did, too. Great. Thanks for having me, Gary. Thank you. All right, everybody. This week, our guest was Chris Hearn, who's the founder and CEO of Fountainhead. I will see you guys next week. This show has been produced by Market Domination, LLC. To discover how you can have your own show completely done for you and turn it into a real published book and become the authority in your marketplace, go to www.marketdominationllc.com slash podcast offer. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.